0: Hello, Clever Hybrids Tribe, and welcome back to the podcast. We're with you here for season three, episode nine. And today we're with Karina Martinez, a bilingual CPG PR exec. So that's a lot of acronyms. Let's find out what's going on. Hey, Karina. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here with us. I know it's pretty early where you are over on the west coast of the U.S. <laughs> right now.
1: <laughs> no, it's all good. 10 a.m. is my lunch. I wake up early, so this
0: is a good time. Okay, cool. So we didn't catch you at a crazy time. No, not at all. Let's jump right into it, Karina, because people hear PR and they think of people cleaning up scandals, but it's it's much more than that. So could you explain what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny. I think people definitely think of PR as kind of crisis communications, and that undoubtedly is a piece of PR. But really what PR is, it's storytelling in a way to really take a brand or anything that you have and externally communicate it. So... While traditional PR is getting a product or a client into a media outlet or coming in in the middle of a scandal and kind of advocating for a different narrative or a different story, really what it is, it's all ways in which an external population really understands and learns about a brand or learns about a story. So things like media and publications and online publications, it's also who you partner with, it's also your social media. It's all of these things that are really the external part of your story or the external part of your brand or your organization.
0: All right, it's so taking care of business there. With your company, Havana Creative, you yeah. all are, are focusing on diverse owned and emerging food companies. So diverse owned, we know what that is, but what is, emerging food you're working with companies like giant they have hard kombucha ma'aza which is afghani spices and Luisa, which is latin spices adobo and sason that's really right. interesting
1: yeah i would say in the words of category emerging is definitely a term that means a lot of different things for different people but for us it means brands that are so really young it's usually a brand or, or a, a business that's within the first year and a half of of starting, they are figuring out who they are. They are under less than a million dollars in revenue. And they're just really starting to build this brand for the first time. So there's two categories in which the clients that we work with are, it's either pre-revenue or pre-launch. So a brand comes to us or says, I have this powder, I have this product. I'm not really sure what to do with it. How do I tell the world that it exists? And that's when we plug in, helping them go to market for the very, very first time. Or it's this, the second tier where they've proven a concept. They've proven that their product is viable. People are excited about it. And now are thinking, how do I take this, smaller scale operation that's run out of my kitchen, or I've done a lot of farmer's markets and we're starting to get some traction. How do I start to build this into maybe a more regional brand or even a national brand. And we come in and we really help them navigate what that would look like.
0: All right. What does it take to get a brand into stores or onto a e-commerce site?
1: Yeah, I think it takes a lot of different things. We focus more on the marketing part of it and really how to start telling the story and how to really start getting people excited about it. A lot of the products that we work with, like you mentioned, are diverse owned, they're heritage inspired, they come from generations of recipes. Our job really is to start to build out stories and narratives that educate people on what is Afghan chutney and what is adobos and salsones, and how do you use them and how are they relevant, why should they be a place in your pantry. So that's where we plug in as we really come in and start to figure out how do we tell that story that invites people to want to purchase the product and that gets them excited to learn about it. But now I would say as far as starting a business, I think what the pandemic has taught us is that the barrier is a lot lower. You don't need a fancy web developer to put together a Shopify website. You don't need really expensive labels to sell products. It leveled out the playing field a little bit. Everybody is looking for products online. It's no longer what you can only find at your Whole Foods, but it's what you can find on the internet, and the internet is a limitless thing. So as far as what do you need in order to get those products online, you need a good story, tasty product, something that has a nice label, and a little bit of effort into just putting together a website. When it comes to some of these larger retailers, that's when you start to think about Things a little bit more intricately you think about packaging you think about your cost of goods you think about all of these different things and that's different expertise that we don't have we rely on some really great partners of ours to help those brands take it to the next level but when it comes to online you don't need much and i think that's a really good place to start
0: yeah it's a good point to make it a little bit less complicated <laughs> definitely oh when you when you have a brand, maybe they're going from being a smaller local brand to regional to national. We just saw this crazy situation where a boat blocked the Suez Canal for a whole week. (laughs) How would something like that affect a brand trying to get their products to a customer, what would you do in that case? These
1: smaller brands, they rely on so many things to go right because they don't have the extra money to expedite shipping. They don't have all of the right infrastructure that some of these larger corporations have in order to make things happen quicker. When these types of situations occur where they're really out of our control, we have two options. We have the option of being frantic and being worried and trying really hard to mask what's going on behind the scenes and trying to just work through it. Or we have the option to lean into that narrative and be honest, be transparent, be communicative. Sometimes depending on the situation, it might even be a really fun play. That's really where a really good identity of who you are and a really good foundation of a brand really just leans into that narrative and says, this is the truth, this is what's happening, or sorry, this is getting too late. Or just laughs at it and says, this is the reality. And of course, this is happening in 2021. Because why wouldn't it?
0: With all of this that's going on, you seem to be handling it pretty well. And it might have been some of what you learned from your parents. You were adopted, actually. You're you're originally from Paraguay. But your parents Mm -hmm. are from Cuba. And your adopted sister is from Russia. So they must have taught you a lot of things. Tell us maybe one of your favorite things you learned from your parents growing up about business?
1: Oh gosh, we always make this joke in our family that the only person that was born in the U.S. is our dog. To understand what we do and the importance of why I started this company is to go back to my parents who are immigrants from Cuba who came to the United States at different points in their lives. My mom came as an infant, my dad came as a teenager, and they met here coincidentally. But Like a lot of immigrants, they come to this country to start a new life and they come here with little to no language and they come here with educational barriers, whether that's lack of education or non-transferable education. A lot of the times entrepreneurship in a really micro scale is the answer. I'm not talking about LLCs or these corporations. My grandparents sold clothes at the swap meets, my great grandparents. Sold clothes door to door. My dad had a jewelry shop at swap meets, And this is the type of businesses that we grew up in. What that really taught us is that, or at least it taught me, is just the importance of, of hard work. They were just so proud to have built these things and be able to make a living for themselves. And really what it did is that it made me fall in love with stories and made me fall in love with the way that business works and how you can really turn anything into something. That's really been the mission behind this and why my company is called Havana. It's Havana without the H, which is the capital of Cuba and where my parents were born. It, it really just taught me that we have the opportunity to really create our own life through entrepreneurship, whether that's starting something that you love or or creating a business to feed your family. There was just so many great options, and, and that was something that I always wanted to do growing up.
0: Yeah, it's important that you mention that. It can be small and feed your family and you could still be proud of that. Absolutely. Now, with Ivana, one of the parts of being your own business is knowing your worth and sticking to your pricing. Did you have trouble with that before? Or are you still having trouble with that?
1: Oh, yeah. I think the hardest part, there's a lot of hard parts, but... I think one of the hardest parts about being a service-run business is that you're not really exchanging a good, especially in our world specifically. Something like a graphic designer or a web designer, they have a very tangible exchange of good where you pay somebody for something and, and that's what it is. For us, it's a little bit different. While we do have some tangible deliverables that we hand over to people, For us, really, what people are paying for is our minds and our resources. How do you put a a price tag on that? And how do you quantify that? Now we're a little bit more seasoned. We have strong case studies. We have decks. We have a lot of really great relationships in the industry. The price point that is attached to that seems a little bit more justifiable to our clients. But to begin with, it, it wasn't, and it's tough. It's also tough because when I started, I didn't have a huge repertoire of people to go to. I didn't have a lot of resources, so it was very scrappy. So I started at a very low tier, really just to start building my portfolio, start showing people that what I said I could do, I could really do and do it 10 times better. Was that the right approach? I don't know. It worked for me. And I also have learned that as I've gotten older, that is something really common for women to do. They come in at a lower price point because they just want to prove their worth. They're willing to negotiate on things because they feel bad or because they don't want to lose the sale or because they're so grateful that somebody wants to hire them. They're willing to bend over backwards and maybe not make as profitable of a decision for their business. Those are things that I still combat day to day. A lot of it is less about my ability and our ability to do great work, but it's also understanding that... A lot of the brands that we work with have to be budget conscious. I think about my family and how much it took for them to start their business and restarted to be affordable, to be approachable. So there is sometimes that difficult line on what is good for my business, but also what is best for the client and what is going to really be beneficial to them. I think that's something that will continuously live on as we continue to grow and, and take on new challenges and take on different sizes of businesses. Yeah, I think that's just something that naturally is hard to combat when you're starting. When you feel comfortable and you feel confident and you're really starting to build a reputation, then you can lean into that a little bit better.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You made a really nice post about that recently on LinkedIn. Then let me go ahead and read it, because that makes sense. <laughs> it says here, You can be grateful a big retailer wants to carry you and still say no because it doesn't make business sense. You can be grateful someone wants to hire you but reject the job because they're coming at a fraction of what you quoted them. You can be grateful someone believes enough in your company to invest but decline because of their large equity ask. Gratitude and knowing what you deserve aren't mutually exclusive. Hope you remember that. It did help me remember that. (laughs)
1: That came off of a conversation I was having with somebody about what it's like to be an immigrant and, and what it's like to be the children of immigrants. I think my parents taught us a lot of really great things. They taught us entrepreneurship and they taught us to be really valuable people in society. But I think one thing that was overstated was gratitude, gratitude about the life that we have, gratitude about being in a country that's not communist and where we have freedom, But i think sometimes if we're not careful that gratitude can be overwhelming and you forget that you have a worth when i first started i was so grateful that people wanted to hire me i was so grateful that these opportunities were coming my way that i I wasn't being calculated about it i wasn't being business minded about it and and now i've gone to a point where i can say thank you so much for this opportunity Thank you for taking an interest in me. This is not the right fit. You can still say no and be grateful. That's the only way that we continue to grow as business owners. We learn that and keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a big lesson for people of color, unfortunately, that it is okay to say no. (laughs) Yeah. On a lot of different fronts. (laughs) Yeah. Now you had your two year anniversary with Ivana Creative recently, so congrats. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) thank you. Now you're looking back, you already mentioned some challenges that you had, but now where you are, what would you say was a turning point that you weren't sure if you were gonna make it or not?
1: Prior to Ivana Creative starting, I had started a, similar concept, creative agency with somebody else who I had a professional relationship in the past with. And I learned really quickly that it just wasn't the right fit. I think on paper, we were a great fit. We had a lot of different talents and a lot of really great resources, but when it just came to our day-to-day interactions and the way that we thought about the business, the way that we wanted the business to grow, the way that we communicated, it was very different. While that was hard for me to realize. I had to walk away from that partnership and essentially rebrand overnight. We parted ways on a Friday morning. And by Monday I I had to have a new name because I was pitching for a project. I just remember that weekend, my mom and I, and my parents, we were all going back and forth on names and we came up with some pretty awful names. And this was the one that stuck. And, (laughs) but I think that was a turning point for a lot of reasons because I had spent the last six months developing a business concept and I relied on somebody. Any idea that I had somebody to bounce off of, any work that I had could be divided by 50%. The upfront costs were divided by 50% and all of these things we had somebody else to lean on. That Monday morning, I was like, oh my gosh, I have these things and I don't know if they're right or they're wrong because I have no one to go to. That was a massive turning point for me. Can I do this alone? Is this something that I can really handle alone? Fortunately enough, I learned that I could, and that's been amazing. Then fast forward a little over a year from then, we have this global pandemic that takes over the world. We had built a a growing reputation in the hospitality industry, and a lot of our clients were restaurants and a cidery, and a lot of this in-person hospitality and food and beverage experience, which we all know was the first kind of industry to really hit a big, to have a big hit, and is the one that's continuously struggling. I got email after email that second week of March and throughout the first week of April just canceling our services. We went from eight to nine clients to one in a matter of a week. And that was definitely a moment where I asked myself, is this going to survive? And do I also have the know-how to figure this out? That's the reason we shifted into this consumer packaged goods space, because I realized that people were going to be home. They were going to be shopping at stores. They were not going to be dining. They were going to look for new brands online. They were going to explore their aisles a little bit heavier because they wanted something to reinvigorate their spirit at home. And food does that. That's also been a major turning point. Two really so far, and hopefully the only ones, where I'll ask myself, is this really going to happen and how do I make this happen?
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. Last March was, this is, everything blew up. <laughs> <laughs> and not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> No, not
1: in a good way at all.
0: Oh, oh my goodness. Stay right there, Karina, and we'll take a minute to hear from our sponsor. Then we're going to talk about how being bilingual is the ace in the hole for all of this. Sounds good. So, Karina is really smart, I know. (laughs) But there's another smart thing that you should do, especially if you're working across borders with freelancers or maybe you have customers in other countries, you should consider WISE. WISE will help you to have a multi-currency account so you're able to have money in your currency to either pay your bills in another currency, pay your freelancer, or also to have your customers pay you on their side in their currency and still spend it on your side without any huge fees. To give you an example, I often have to switch between Euro and dollars because I'm American, but I live in Germany. So before that was a big headache, (laughs) trying to figure it out, one, and then second, trying to get it without losing most of my money in the transfer fees. Now, when I send, for example, maybe a hundred Euro, To the US dollars, I only lose about one euro in transfer fees compared to maybe five to 10 with other services. So go ahead and check this out. We have our link here below as an affiliate with Wise. Try their multi-currency account as a recommended resource from Clever Hybrids. And now back to Karina about how bilingual is the bomb.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: (laughs) I'm just really silly, but you'll get used to it eventually. (laughs) We already mentioned a little bit that you had a very interesting family. You must have had a good time. You have Cuban parents. You're from Paraguay and your sister is from Russia. (laughs) So how old were both of you when you got adopted?
1: Yeah, we were really young. I believe I was about seven or eight months and my sister was a little bit older. I think she was right around a year old babies.
0: All right. And then you mentioned your grandparents and some of your aunts that you were working with, did you all grow up speaking English and Spanish at home or one or the other?
1: Yeah, Spanish was our first language for both my sister and I, it was definitely the the big language that we use growing up my dad and my mom both speak spanish and english so it's a spanglish kind of household but as young kids spanish was our first language And my grandparents on both sides speak spanish they came when they were a lot older and so english is not a comfortable language for them so that was really important to my mom and my dad in order um, for us to have a relationship with them, it was important that we spoke Spanish. And also just knew that being bilingual was going to be a really big asset to us growing up and eventually in our careers. And it was.
0: it's oh, nice to keep you connected to your grandparents. Some people forget about that aspect where if you don't speak your grandparents language, then you're cut off from all that wisdom because they mm-hmm. can't tell it to you. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. How is being bilingual helping you now? We mentioned before you are a bilingual exec with this PR and you're working with all of these companies from all over the world. What are some examples of how it's helped you?
1: Yeah, being bilingual has obviously just helped me because it opens a whole nother area of people that I can communicate with. And so that's the obvious. That's what's been so important to me as I've grown this business is that it's just allowed me to be more in tune with my culture. I love supporting other Latina-owned brands and having that extra layer of language and understanding things like when they tell me that they source nopales, I know what that means. And when we talk about these stories about generations of things, I understand what that means. That's what's been so powerful as far as what I do, is that it just allows me that extra layer of connectivity with some of the brands and the owners that that we work with on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, it's nice to have that common ground so you don't have to be like, so can you please explain to me what are these tamales? Tamales.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would be an interesting conversation. You have your own community too that you're working with. We have the Clever Hybrids tribe over here, but you have the Mercado Collective. So tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing? The
1: Mercado concept is something that's so very much in the works and it's this idea that no matter where you start and no matter how big you are, we all started in this Mercado, it was just a better way of saying the Swap Meat Collective. (laughs) which is where we grew up but i think that's the truth no matter if you're a kind bar or a local bake shop you started in some sort of swap meat farmers market flea market whatever you want to call it that's how you started that's really where that concept comes from is really owning that narrative that no matter where you are we all start small and we're all in the same in that sense it's definitely a, a work in progress and the goal is to eventually continue to grow that and turn it into a little bit of a media platform where we are able to share these stories of not just where we started, but also talk about all of the incredible ingredients that our Latin culture has and how all this comes together in a really beautiful way where we can tell these stories and and then eat through them as well.
0: Yeah, maybe it should be a podcast or something. I I would listen to that. (laughs) It would make me hungry, but I would listen to it. That's really nice. So now you said you want to get to that media point. What are you doing as a community with them right now? Do you have articles about them, meetups? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, so right now it's a little bit of a work in progress. and We have a separate Instagram account called Mercado Media, which is just celebrating the food, the stories, the culture of my Latin roots. And mm-hmm poking a little bit of fun at it too. So that's where you can continue to follow there. And in the future, I think we're working behind the scenes to hopefully get a newsletter together that highlights stories, recipes, new product, and where the industry is going. I think if anything this year has taught me to see where it goes and see how well people are responding to it. Who knows, maybe we'll do fun, experiential things. Maybe we'll have our own mercado. Maybe it'll just be a great website to highlight our culture, I don't know. But I'm open to whatever the world and life has to to offer.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. You mentioned that things are changing so much and you just gotta see where it goes. You had that change from working with the restaurants and the breweries that were a location within themselves where people would go visit and just have the atmosphere plus the food. Now with CPG, what is a customer packaged goods yes. <laughs> where people have these cool niche things like this alcoholic kombucha? They can buy it and enjoy it at home. How do you help them stand out, or what other changes are you seeing in the industry right now?
1: Yeah, part of our job as PR people is to be in the know and be in the know of of almost everything. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. We need to understand what's going on in in the news. We need to understand how consumers are, are eating and what they're liking and what different health trends are. So I think there's a couple of different ways to really keep brands and people and stories relevant, listening to what's working and listening to where things are going. If there's a, a, a trend on a certain ingredient, if there's something that one of our brands is doing that's really different around one of these ingredients, how do we plug in and tell that story? But I think what's also equally as important is that consumers are now extremely educated on the types of products that they buy. They have all this information at their fingertips for better or for worse. And so really owning authentic stories is what's been most effective for us sometimes that means repping brands that have authentic ownership or just a really strong story that's relatable it doesn't always have to be about heritage inspired stuff we can talk about things that are extremely relatable That's. What can break through the clutter and and the clog of all of these different competitors? How do you take a brand or product and really build a story behind it? That's really what ends up selling. At the end of the day, people are buying from from people and that's something that we believe in really heavily. When we're able to break those barriers and, and share stories and invite people to our table for whatever reason that is, that's when we can connect with them. That's when we shine and we can help our clients shine.
0: Amen. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> I know California is very trendy on lots of stuff that's going on, but have you been able to break into markets in the Midwest or the South? How do you deal with the cultural differences?
1: Yeah, there's tons. And that's the beauty of the United States, right? Is that there is no one type of person. Every area, every city, every region has a different way that they eat, a different ingredient that they love. Transparently there's products that are just not going to do well in certain regions and that's okay. That's also part of our job is to be honest and transparent and say this product with this ingredient is probably not going to resonate with this audience and that's okay because we don't want to spend a lot of money trying To break through this audience but instead find people who are maybe more open to listening to this type of product i think it's clear that southern california has a lot of health trends and we have a lot of things about sustainability and vegan that it probably don't resonate in in some parts of the south or other parts of the united states are there parts of that brand that will is it about the founder do they come from a certain area that can resonate with those people Is there a certain ingredient that's maybe grown in the South and maybe that's part of the narrative there, or is that product applicable to something that's really popular in that area? Can we come up with a a sazon adobo rib in the South? I don't know. Those are things that we can think about that would maybe make it a little bit easier to penetrate some of those markets without trying to change consumer behavior, but instead integrate into them. That's some of the stuff that we have fun with. And that's some of the stuff that storytelling can do, recipe creating can do, PR can do, influencers can do. Just trying to understand all of these different pockets and how to break through them.
0: Yeah, PR seems very multifaceted. And, and just being a solopreneur in general, they call it the CEO, the chief everything officer. <laughs> now you've been doing it for two years. What would you tell somebody who may be listening to this and they're on day one? Two things. One,
1: don't be afraid. Because you don't know everything. You don't know what you don't know. And so ask as many questions as you can. Talk to as many people as you can. Don't be afraid to say that you don't know something. Don't be afraid to build a community around you that has the answers. You just go for it. I spent a lot of time self doubting myself, not having the answers to things. Part of what's worked is that I've just been bullheaded and I've scrappily figured it out and it's worked so when we try so hard to be really methodical that's when we start to overthink and we start to really hold ourselves back sometimes we just need to say go for it i always tell my team members too when i hire them we're not curing cancer we're not going to hurt anybody we're not going to kill anybody if you make a mistake you're more likely going to remember that mistake and never make it again so go for it be creative be bullish be willing to take risks. And if they don't work out, there's always tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And you don't need an MBA to start a business people. Karina, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. And I know we have been showing it here in the stream, but there will be some audio listeners. Could you tell them how to get in touch with you and how to check your website?
1: Sure. Stay in touch. You can go to our website, Avana Creative, A V A N A Creative.com. Or say hello, send us a note. And then we're pretty active on our Instagram as well, which is just Avana Creative Handle. And you can always follow me on LinkedIn and say hello.
0: All right. That's Karina, everybody. Thank you, Karina.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> fun. I appreciate it.
0: And to the Clever Hybrids Tribe, thank you again for joining us today. As always, we enjoyed learning about business and why being bilingual is so important in the 21st century, especially now that the pandemic has changed everything. Many people have been asking me, what is Clever Hybrids besides the podcast? Well, we help people who are non-native English speakers to be able to improve their speaking and writing. Many people who already know a little bit of English They can read and listen very well, which is good for taking in information. But if you want to be able to get that promotion to explain your ideas to somebody else, you have to know how to speak and write properly in a business setting, and also just chilling with your colleagues. You don't want to be a robot, but you also don't want to be too casual. So you have to find that balance and be a clever hybrid. If you'd like to know more about that, Go ahead and check out our website, cleverhybrids.com for more information about how we can help you. Coming soon, stay tuned. We're going to have some courses for those of you who prefer to learn on your own as well. So stay tuned. And you can also follow us on LinkedIn, of course, but we're more active as a company on Instagram and Twitter. Handle there is at cleverhybrids as one word. Until next time. Just as we learned from Karina and from all of our guests for the past three seasons, stay focused because nothing in life is a straight line anymore. See you next week.